Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to a new year of The Voice of the Valley. I'm excited for uh, the topics that we have coming up, and today I'm particularly excited because sporadically throughout this year, we're going to be looking at passages that are difficult to understand, things like in Timothy, where Paul says that you're going to be, that women will be saved through childbirth. And, you know, in Revelation, where it talks about the seven spirits of God. Um, so throughout throughout Scripture, we, we find things that are difficult to understand. And today we're going to be looking at one of those passages, which will be Hebrews chapter 6. So I have Pastor John with me this morning. John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, good to be here, Jeremy. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then I'm just going to let you loose on on this passage. Well, so I'm, you, you got to be careful letting me loose, man. That's like you, you, you take a leash off a, a border collie. I mean, what's going to happen? So well, I'm excited to see what you have to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you these questions, and then I'm going to read uh, Hebrews chapter six, one through eight. Okay. Um, and then and then we'll go from there. So all right. Um, first couple questions. What I'm going to ask is, as a church, we believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, um, as well as the preserving grace of God of the saints. And we've yes. we've gone through that in, sure. in past series. Um, but how do we navigate through this passage here in in Hebrews chapter six? Um, it seems to be contradicting what we believe as a church. Yeah. Um, can Christians lose? Their salvation, and then the the third question I have is, what are some helpful tips in navigating through uh, difficult passages that okay. we come through? Right. So I'm going to read through through this passage, and then you go for it. Okay. So Hebrews chapter six, verses one through eight. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Okay, so uh, your questions are really, I think if I could summarize them, do these verses teach that we can lose our salvation? Correct. And if they do, and and it sounds concerning at first read, right? Uh, If they do teach that, then... Uh, that affects a lot of how we view Scripture here at Sun Valley Church. So mm-hmm. we'd better have a good answer, right? This is really important. Um, so if you're listening at home, uh, I'd encourage you to go get your Bible and open it to Hebrews 
chapter 6 because I'm going to be referring a lot to the text itself in answering this question. If you're driving, then keep your eye on the road and uh, just, you know, listen. But um, we're, we're trying to answer some important questions here, Jeremy. And, and one way, I think your last question was how do we navigate through difficult passages? Right. One is, one way, and I'll speak to a few ways here in a moment. And by the way, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to, you said you're going to turn me loose. Yeah. I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to go. And <laughs> okay. if you want to jump in, you're going to have to jump in. All right. But one way that, that we can address difficult passages, and many times this resolves difficult passages, is if you understand the context of the book in which they're written. Mm-hmm. So, you know, point to self. Know the context. So let's begin with the context here. To understand these critically important, albeit a little bit confusing verses, the writer of Hebrews was not contrasting two different stages of Christianity, hmm. like an infant level or a mature level. Uh, no, he was demonstrating again the superiority of Jesus Christ, the superiority of Christianity over that of Judaism. Hmm. This book was written to Jews. And so we, gotta, we have to keep that in mind. Of course, the, the Holy Spirit certainly has important spiritual truths for each of us to, to grasp as we read this letter, and we should do our best to, to recognize those things and apply those things. But this book was written to Jews, and you've got to keep that in mind. And the author here was trying to convince them of the superiority of Christ. As we taught through this at Sun Valley Church, we are not a congregation of Jews. I'm not certain we have any Jews here. We're made up mostly, I think, completely of Gentiles. Hmm. Um, and so how do we apply this book? So my, we have to understand the context. We have to understand the history. And one of the ways we apply this book, uh, at least the way we did it here, is to, to, to view it as um, ways to, to think about uh, things that may compete with Christ, the superiority of Christ over ritual, the superiority of Christ over practice or personal possessions, all these things we addressed as we taught through this book. When we got to chapter 6, I had to kind of slow down, um, and it took me two sermons to preach through those eight verses you read. Um, And that's not uncommon, but it's important to know because there's a lot of doctrine here that rests on our our method of interpretation, our hermeneutics. And so... I want to make sure that you understand this, you being Jeremy and you being the listeners. One of the modern-day applications of this current text is to understand that, that people can go to church for years, even grow up in a Christian home, hear the gospel many times, be serving, be giving, be faithful members of the church, and really not know Christ. That's hard to believe, that, but that happens all the time. This is the kind of person that the author is addressing here in Hebrews 6. Some of these Jews has, had heard the gospel, maybe even from an apostle, and liked what they heard, but never been fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They still were hanging on a little bit to Judaism. And this writer was saying, stop that. Come with us fully into the gospel, into Christ. And so as much as this is one of the most severe warnings found anywhere in Scripture, it's an important part of this book. Because it's written to Jews who are still hanging on to Judaism. Hmm. They liked Christianity, but uh, my dad and my mom, they're Jews. We go to the synagogue every Saturday. I don't know. I can't know if I can. And so so the author's going, listen, listen, 
listen to the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's so, as, as a pastor, I've witnessed um, what this particular passage that you read, Jeremy, addresses in the lives of people who once attended church faithfully, who claimed to be Christians, uh, who made a strong profession of faith, were baptized even in our church, and were serving in everything that would make it look like they were saved. But then turned their back on the things of God, claiming to be agnostic, and walked away from the faith. Hmm. You and I both know people like that. Mm -hmm. They've been here at Sun Valley. And so this is really a a practical and pastoral concern of mine. And and this isn't new. Uh, This has been going on at least for the past 1,600 years. Two distinct groups have hotly debated this issue, this particular passage, in fact. And one of the groups uses this these eight verses to argue that Christians can lose their salvation. We know that. And the other group that includes us argues that this text has nothing to do with whether or not you're a Christian. It's not about losing your salvation. Uh, If there is any passage that may seem to challenge, I think, what we believe and teach at Sun Valley Church concerning the doctrines of grace, this is the passage. This is critical to understand. And so I want to try to in a few short minutes, summarize it, um, at least to the point of understanding. And the first way to do this is to begin back in verses 1 through 3 and, and look at this whole concept of becoming mature in Christ. The, the Greek word here translated maturity in English is also translated perfection in other places. See that word in verse 1? Mm-hmm. talks about maturity. He says, therefore, let's leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Uh, not laying again the foundation and so forth. So that Greek word is actually translated perfection in other places. And I think it probably would have been good to translate it that way here. Uh, This particular word has uh, a definite article in the original language in front of it. Uh, What this means is that the author is saying that to leave the elementary doctrines of Christ is to go on to the perfection. Now, what is the perfection? We need to keep in mind that to help us accurately interpret this um, is critical to understanding verses four through six. So let me, let me, I'm trying to lay a, a clear and basic foundation here. To grasp what is written here in verses four through six, we must understand verses one through three. Um, and it's, it's important to note what the author doesn't say here. The, uh, he doesn't say the elementary doctrine of the Lord Jesus. He uses the elementary doctrines of Christ. And what's the word Christ mean? Messiah. He's speaking to Jews, remember. He's contrasting Christianity with Judaism Hmm. once again. So the perfection that is spoken of is not spiritual maturity, but the full revelation which God has now made known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Move on to the person of Jesus Christ. Leave Judaism. Move on to Jesus is what he's saying here. This is what he said said in verses 1 of 2 of Hebrews of this same book. So the the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is no longer veiled in types and shadows, but his glory now is fully seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, So the exhortation is to leave those elementary doctrines of Judaism, um, those elementary doctrines concerning the Messiah, and move on to the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. All right? So... Uh, leaving and going on to the perfection 
is one and the same idea in verse 1. And to that persistent Jew, this was an exhortation to cut their ties with the Old Covenant, cut their ties with the practice of Judaism, accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah and Savior. Um, So the Greek word translated leave simply means to forsake, to put away, to disregard, to abandon. In fact, here's how the expositor Greek Testament translates verse 1. Let us abandon the elementary teachings of Christ. Hmm. Leave it already, Hmm. the author is saying. So the author of Hebrews wants the practicing Jew to abandon Judaism and, and come to that perfection found in Christ. The elementary doctrine that these unbelieving Jews were encouraged to leave were simply the Old Testament teachings and understandings of Christ, which confused the Jews when Jesus showed up. Sure. What do you mean, your God? That cannot be. There's one God. Yeah. And the, the person writing this book or this letter to the Hebrews is saying, listen, Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. Let's follow him. Yeah. Let's leave that old teaching. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting, and I don't think the author of Hebrews is suggesting, is those elementary teachings are worthless. He's just saying there's more to be had. Let's right. move on. Right. You know, there's, there's all sorts of types and pictures in the Old Testament of Christ and his sacrifice um, for us that are seen in the Old Testament worship practices, you know, the sacrificial system and all yeah. that. Paul's saying, or Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews is saying, let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on to, to more of, of what's revealed in Christ Jesus himself. So the issue uh, being addressed here is not that the immature Christians should get on with their spiritual growth, uh, although that could be a point of application. The central issue here is the need to leave any beliefs that you may have that are standing in the way of your saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Judaism was keeping these folks from actually being saved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't say, I'm a saved Jew. Yeah, right. Oh, if you're saved, you're a Christian. Right. You're no longer a Jew. Right. Do you have a question? Yeah, well, sure. thinking about our modern context is, you know, how does that how does that play out in in our day today? I mean, we're not we're not Jews. We don't come from the Jewish background. So how does that how does that relate to today as, as Well, making up your own belief system. Sure. You know, uh, going with what your parents told you instead okay. of really digging into what Teach what is being taught in Scripture. Okay, this is a critical, important point. Uh, do we truly believe all the things that we were taught as kids um, by our Sunday school teachers, or do we understand them ourselves? Hmm. Um, so this is this is, I think, one of the side applications of the text, which you're addressing. Yeah. So let's go on to the warnings. Um, the warnings as seen in verses four through six. These are the the concerning points here. Um, and, and there's been so much said and written over these verses for the, literally for 1,600 years. Yeah. They fill volumes of books. Um, and many have used them to support the doctrine uh, of the possibility of a Christian being able to lose their salvation, which we have a hard time with. Um, and, that, of course, we have a hard time with it because if these verses teach that one can lose their salvation, it also teaches that a person can never get back to their salvation. Right. So take that on yeah. for a second. This is one of their primary points of teaching concerning the loss of salvation. But it says here in verse 4, for, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have been tasted, who have... Uh, tasted the goodness of the, the word of God and so forth, and then have fallen away. So it's if they have fallen away, these folks, to restore them again to repentance. 
Like the author's saying, if you fall away, you're not coming back. That's scary. That is scary. <laughs> so if you accept the fact that you can lose your salvation based on this text, yeah. you better not lose your salvation. Yeah. Yeah. You're not coming back. Yeah. There's no repentance. There's no way to return. There's no path. So that's a scary place to be. So I think we need to we need to be careful here how we think of this. Um, one way to, the only way, I think, <laughs> to get to the point that we want to embrace is to understand that these verses are written to unbelieving Jews. Yeah. They're not written to people who know Christ. And you say, well, Pastor John, look at all these references to the people who are Christians, those who have been enlightened, those who have tasted of the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit. That sounds like a Christian to me. Yeah. Well, that's what's important to unpack these things, okay? So um, there, are, there are dangers here um, that we need to keep in mind. Um, let's, let's look at them closely. So back to the point, the author's arguing for the superiority of Christianity over Judaism, the perfection over the incomplete, the reality over the types and shadows. That's what's in view here in the book of Hebrews. So that what is the nature of the warning? Uh, as we read through the scripture, we see many warnings beginning in the Garden of Eden, right? You, mm-hmm. you remember all of those. Uh, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Day you eat, you're going to die. Don't touch the mountain, Moses said through mm-hmm. God. God said, Moses, tell the people not to touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they're going to die. Um, and then he said, you know, the one who touches the mountain is going to fry. And then he says... Uh, the warning passage uh, that we can be assured of our salvation, how, that conflicts with these things that we're looking at in these four verses. Mm-hmm. So back to these these you know warnings in that we that we see in Scripture about uh, different things. Don't touch the mountain. Don't eat of the food. Um, it would have been better for Adam and Eve had they not eaten of the fruit, right? Yeah, it, it would have been better not to touch the holy mountain. It would have been better for Uzzah to listen to God's instructions about how to transport the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been better for Israel to not worship false god, false gods, but they did. Hmm. So all these warnings, um, these warnings to us in Scripture uh, to avoid sin are not designed to squash our enjoyment, but to protect us, to hmm. to keep us from harm, to keep us from the consequences of our trespass, of our sin. So... Today, we're out driving on the freeway, and we come across a speed limit sign that says 65. You think, that's no fun. I want to go 95. (laughs) Um, The sign that says the speed limit 65 is not put there to keep you from enjoying driving to Seattle. It's put there to keep you from dying on your way to Seattle. If you go 95, there's a much greater risk of death. And so... Especially when it's snowing outside. Yeah, yeah, especially when it's snowing. Uh, So... That's very similar to the warnings in Scripture. God's not trying to squash our enjoyment. He's warning us about really important things that will hurt us if we don't pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. This warning in Hebrews 6 is brutal, though, isn't it? Um, It's the most severe warning, I think, in all of Scripture. To be told that if you continue in your current negative spiritual pattern, it will result in irreversible, eternal damnation. Yeah. (laughs) If that doesn't alarm you... uh, that's concerning. Yeah. Which is why this passage has been such a hot button for right. so long. Right. 
So let's look at the interpretation of this warning. How can we get to the bottom? What does it actually mean? Um, there's three possible ways to interpret it. First, this is a hypothetical situation in order to gain a response from the, from the audience. Hmm. You know, making it such an uh, obviously horrible, you know, conclusion to, to a sin that you're not going to get there. Yeah. Second, second possibility, second possible way to interpret this is that these are actual born-again Christians who fall away to their eternal damnation. They knew Christ, now they don't, and they're forever lost. Third, these are the people who appear to be Christians, but on further examination, really aren't. Right. <laughs> Those are the three options. Right. That's the only options possible here. Right. So let's take them one at a time. First, the hypothetical. Um, this interpretation simply says that the author here was creating a hypothet hypothetical situation that doesn't exist, will never exist, and it's a warning against sin that really is impossible to commit. <laughs> uh, the arguments that the author is using hyperbole or exaggeration to keep Christians away from the edge of the precipice. It's like the warning that God gave to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree. What did, what did Adam say to Eve in private? You can't even touch it. Yeah. God didn't say you can't touch it. That was Adam's interpretation. Yeah. Uh, this is so bad, Eve. God said don't touch it, but God didn't say that. He just said don't eat of it. Right. Maybe that's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. This is so serious. Don't even get close to that edge. If you do, you're, you're going to go to hell forever. Yeah. That's, but <laughs> um, this is a difficult interpretation to support because there would be no need to warn Christians of a sin that's impossible to commit, right? It's the, this hy hypothetical situation can't possibly exist. It's, the second is an actual uh, way to interpret this. This, this interpretation says that the author is referring to an actual and genuine born-again Christian. Mm -hmm. This person's this person's saved. And most of those who hold this view, by the way, believe that God is responsible to save those who believe on Jesus and trust him for forgiveness. But the ultimate perseverance of any believer depends on the exercise of their free will in continuing to follow Christ. So Jesus saves me. I, I acknowledge that. It's all in his power, but it's up to me to keep me. Which is even more scary. What's that? It's, which is even more scary when you start thinking that yeah. way. Who wants to be responsible for that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, God, you'll save me, but I got to really bear down, try hard, and never quit. <laughs> yeah. If I do, yeah. you know, yeah. it's over. Yeah. Um, so this, this second possible interpretation is saying that Christians are capable of apostasy and eternal ruin described in these verses. Hmm. That's really scary, yeah. and that would undermine everything we teach here in this church. Yeah. The third is these are apparent Christians. They're people who appear to be Christ, but after further examination, really are not Christians. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the, the interpretation that we hold to, and we believe that, that the people being described only appear to be Christians at one point or another in their life. They may have grown up in the church. They, they may have heard the gospel, seen the power of God, made a profession of faith, been in the waters of baptism, but ultimately they really never knew Christ. Why? Because they're not committed any longer. They're not here. They're gone. So this is where we stand. We're, we're thinking that these verses are addressing those who have an artificial faith. They've abandoned that artificial faith, claiming it really doesn't work for me. It didn't work out. I don't see why I should follow something that doesn't work, and, right. and so they're gone. Right. So let's let's talk about reasons that 
uh, we believe what we do, that these are not really genuine believers being described here in these verses. First of all, uh, the illustration of the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay, The book of Hebrews is written to them. The Old Testament is all about them. And throughout the book of Hebrews, the author has been referring to the, the children of Israel uh, to demonstrate the inferiority of Judaism to Christianity. For example, in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, the, the writer describes how the children of Israel had hard hearts, they rebelled in the wilderness, and they didn't enter God's rest. Mm-hmm. You, you remember that passage. Mm-hmm. Those in these verses, verses 4 through 6 in chapter 6 that we're looking at today, who participated in the spiritual realities described, fell away, and this parallels the privileged experience of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Both of these groups were enlightened. The, the people in, in Hebrews 6, the, all the Old Testament uh, Jews, they were both enlightened. They all, they all tasted. They all shared in the things of God, and they fell away and died in unbelief. Okay, it's an illustration of the children of Israel. The wilderness Israelites were a part of a covenant community. Uh, They had placed blood on the doorpost. They had eaten the Passover lamb. They miraculously crossed the Red Sea. I mean, think of that. They they were there through all of those amazing events. But then (laughs) their hearts were hardened in the the scriptures. I mean, in the uh, wilderness. They turned their back on God because of the difficulties. And these who died in the wilderness, some of them were true believers, but most of them were unbelievers. And they both, both the believing and unbelieving Israelite in the wilderness, were part of the covenant community. Hmm. And those who died in their sin were lost. And yet it looked like they were genuine Jews who believed God. So in the same way, the people that the author of Hebrews is addressing were artificial Christians, just like those unbelieving Jews of the Old Testament. Mm. These people in Hebrews 6 participated in church activities. They saw the blessings and power of God firsthand. They were encouraged by the Word of God. They fellowshiped with the saints, but they weren't saved. This is unbelievable. That's the first the first reason that we believe that these people re- referred to here in Hebrews 6 um, weren't believers. This is exactly what happened in Israel in the Old Testament. Secondly, you remember the parable of the sower, Jeremy, in, in yeah. Matthew chapter 13? Yeah. In that parable, Jesus said that there's a very good possibility that people look like they're saved and aren't, yeah. even to the point of experiencing initial joy mm-hmm. at their conversion. But Jesus said they weren't saved. <laughs> so that group of people exists, according to Jesus in Matthew 13. Yeah. And then this next one is... is uh, the harmony of Scripture. So, and this this particular one is another way that we can navigate any difficult passage that we come across in Scripture that you were referring to earlier. Yeah. Um, the answer to your third question. This is the answer. The harmony of Scripture. Hmm. <laughs> the Word of God is harmonious. One one portion is not in conflict with another. There is agreement between all of the scriptures. So if you can come to a certain interpretation of doctrine from one point in scripture, no other points in scripture will contradict it yeah. because it's, it's inspired by one God. Yeah. The same Holy Spirit inspired John and Paul and James as inspired the author of Hebrews. Yeah. And so they cannot be in contradiction. Yeah. 
This is called the harmony of scripture. And it is critical. And when, so when we come to chapter 6 of Hebrews, verses 4 through 6, we have to make some critical decisions. If this passage is teaching that genuine Christians can fall away from the faith and be eternally lost, then we are in conflict with a large portion of the rest of Scripture. Right? Right. right. So let's think for a minute together, Jeremy. Um, do, do you know of any verses in Scripture that might defend our eternally secure place in Christ? What, what are some scriptures that may contradict with the interpretation that Christians can lose their salvation yeah. in Hebrews 6? Yeah. Well, my mind immediately goes to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Okay. Um, John 17. Okay. Um, Romans 8. Romans 9. Let's look at Romans 8 for a second. Yeah. Okay. In Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, Paul says, There is nothing in life, death, and he goes through a long list, remember, Mm -hmm. that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's pretty significant. Romans 8 also, in verses 38 and 9, also say that believers are foreknown, past tense, predestined, past tense, called, past tense, justified, past tense, (laughs) and here's the, the ringer, glorified. So if you've been foreknown by God in the past, you will be glorified in the future. Mm -hmm. It's as good as done in Paul's mind. (laughs) Those two, Romans 8, 38 and 39, are in contradiction with a faulty interpretation of Hebrews 6. That means they would not be in harmony. Let me me give you a few others, and you can jump in, Jeremy, at any point here. Scripture says that believers are kept by the power of God through faith unto final Salvation for an incorruptible inheritance. Mm. Incorruptible inheritance means just that. It can't be corrupted. Yeah. You can't lose it. First yeah. Peter chapter one, verses four and five, Jude twenty-four and twenty-five, second Timothy one twelve. How about Philippians one six? We're into that uh, scripture right here now at, in our current sermon series. Yeah. Uh, at Sun Valley. He who began a good work in you might complete it. Is that what it says? <laughs> no. Nope. No, nope. it says nope. will complete yeah. it. Yeah. That's in conflict with a faulty interpretation of Hebrews 6. Yeah. Ephesians 4, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. That's a day in the future. And the Holy Spirit's guaranteeing that you'll get there. Hebrews 4.30. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the Apostle John has comments all over the place. First John and in his, and in his gospel, John 6.40 and 54 Jesus said that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. What's eternal life mean? Eternal life. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe could it possibly mean until you sin again? <laughs> no. No. You have eternal life until you blow it again. Yeah. Oh, that's not eternal life then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so John has these kind of things all over the place. Paul, Jesus speaks of it. It's just everywhere Yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. And so to come to a interpretation of Hebrews 6 that all of a sudden says, oh, but you can lose your salvation, makes no sense and blows the harmony of Scripture right out of the water. Yeah. That's, that's untenable. Yeah. We can't rest there. We cannot accept a contradictory set of Scriptures. Right. right. So we have to, in, in, in 
engage that thought. So there's no way that the author of Hebrews, if he was inspired by the same Holy Spirit that inspired John, Paul, uh, Jude, um, these different New Testament authors, there's no way that that same Holy Spirit would say something different to the author of Hebrews. Right. I just want to slip this in here to really confuse the church. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah. I think that's a good idea, yeah. uh, Father and Son, Holy Spirit. What do you think of that? Yeah, right. No, yeah. that doesn't work that way. So let's get down to the details of the language actually seen in verses 4 through 6. This is where it's important you're going to have your Bible out, Sun Valley Church friends. Okay, so um, in this text, verses 4 through 6, do you see any reference to any language that's used anywhere else in the Bible to describe salvation? Let me, let me give you some v- words that other New Testament authors use in connection to salvation. Justification. Is that mm. word in those verses, Jeremy? No. No. How about this one? Sanctification. No. How about new birth? Nope. How about regeneration? I don't see it. That's not there. (laughs) (laughs) It's not there for a reason. So let's look at the words that are there. The enlightenment. You see that there? Mm. Um, Those who have been enlightened, verse 4. It's impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened. What does that mean? It has to do with intellectual understanding. Intellectual understanding of biblical truth, even. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me ask you a question, Jeremy. Can you understand biblical truth and not be saved? Yeah. 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 Example? Pharisees. Pharisees. Yeah. They understood biblical truth more than anybody else yeah. in Jerusalem in their day. Yeah. They weren't saved. And we each know people who understand a lot of Scripture who aren't saved. Right. There are people who are professors of secular universities, Yale, Harvard, Duke, Princeton, and so forth, that are heads of the theological department that do not believe the gospel, and they know way more about Scripture and biblical truth than you and I put together. Yeah. yeah. And they don't believe. Yeah. <laughs> okay? This is that they're enlightened. They understand intellectually biblical truth. But this is different. Okay? So what are we talking about here? In, enlightenment doesn't mean salvation. Hmm. Let's look at the next word, tasted of the heavenly gift. There, those who have tasted of the heavenly gift, verse 4. John Owen said this in defense of the position that we hold here at Sun Valley. John Owen said, tasting does not include eating, much less digesting and turning into nourishment. Just because you taste a piece of steak doesn't mean it nourishes you. You have to swallow it and digest it. Right. What Owen is saying here is just because you taste the gospel, you taste what salvation means, doesn't mean you're saved. Right. You've tasted it. Right. That's all it means. There's nothing else there. The heavenly gift in Scripture can mean the Holy Spirit, but it can also mean and is called in different places different things. Okay, in 2 Corinthians 9.5, Jesus is spoken of as the indescribable heavenly gift. Grace is called God's gift. In Ephesians 2.8, there are places all over the New Testament that a gift is referred to. All right? I think that the heavenly gift referred to in verse 4 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You've tasted the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The good news that God will forgive the sins of anyone who comes to him by faith and embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's the heavenly gift. Have you tasted that? I've heard it. I've seen it. I've fellowshiped with people who've, who've experienced it. I've worshiped with those who know it. Yeah. I've tasted right. the heavenly gift. Right. But it's not received. It's not swallowed. It's not digested. It's just tasted. Yeah. How about the word shared there? Uh, shared in verse 4. Um, shared in the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is a tough one. How can you share in the Holy Spirit and not be saved? Uh, well, the word here has to do with sharing and common association with. Sharing in events concerning something. But the sharing in the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Let me give you two examples. Uh, in Acts 8, uh, Luke describes a guy named Simon Magus. He shared in the Holy Spirit. Luke said he shared in the Holy Spirit. He looked like he was saved. He prayed. He was baptized. Was Simon Magus, was he saved? He was not. Hmm. Peter said, you're on your way to hell, Simon. <laughs> he wouldn't say that to a saved person. Yeah. He was not saved. Yeah. Here's another obvious one. Um, Judas Iscariot. <laughs> Did he share in the Holy Spirit? Yeah. A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> he saw Jesus do all of his miracles. Yeah. He was there listening to Jesus teach. Right. He shared in the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Jesus' ministry was the effect of the Holy Spirit on Jesus. Yeah. Judas was there yeah. all through his ministry every day. He shared in the Holy Spirit. And yet, what did he do? He sold Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah. He, he, he was not saved. Yeah. It's obvious that he wasn't. How about this next one? Tasted. Verse 5 and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. That's also pretty formidable. Well, um, these Hebrews had been taught the word of God, recognized its worth, even said that it was good. And they received it with joy, like Jesus said in Matthew 13. It looks like they're saved. They're here in church. They're receiving, they're praising God. Oh, what a great sermon. Verses 4 through 6, if, if verses 4 through 6 describe Christians who had lost their salvation, then this is the worst news in all of Scripture. Because if you fall away, like I said earlier, if you sin badly enough, you can never come back. You've tasted. It's impossible to return. Yeah. You've experienced the Holy Spirit. You've tasted the Word of God. You've participated in the Gospel. Now it's impossible to return. Oh, my word. But thankfully, Christians aren't in view here. Yeah. <laughs> True Christians aren't in view here, right? Genuine salvation cannot be lost. Unbelievers are being addressed, and the opportunity to receive salvation is the issue here. It's yeah. not those that they can lose their salvation. It's, that it's those who are yet to receive it. Yeah. Paul's saying, oh, Paul, I keep saying that. The author of Hebrews is saying, please come to Christ. Yeah. You're, you're here, you're in the middle, you're listening to all this good stuff, you're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, you know the gospel. Yeah. Please turn from Judaism. Turn from that thing that won't save you to that person who will. Yeah. That's what's in view here. What a, what a warning right. to us today, right. to you and me, Jeremy. Yeah. Here we are under the, the full 
the full measure of, of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, we have it all, we've heard it all preached, we understand it for the most part, to not be saved? Yeah. What a warning. Right. My goodness, I can't think of a more serious warning. Yeah. Um, to have all this knowledge of God, to know how to get to heaven, and to reject it, that's eternal suicide. Hmm. Oh, my there's nothing left to say to this person but that the author of Hebrews says. <laughs> what does he say? If you reject the gospel, there's no other means of salvation. Right. This is it. Right. right. Please turn yeah. is what he's pleading. So these verses are not speaking about Christians who might lose their salvation. They're speaking about a lost opportunity to come to Christ. Right. Don't lose this chance, friends. Come to Jesus. Yeah. Don't sit in church one more Sunday and think that you've got it all together. Make sure that you come to Jesus. Make sure you've turned away from your own agenda. Make sure that you are not continuing to just create a God of your own understanding and worshiping that one. Right. Come to the, to the, to the scriptures. Come to Christ. Come to the God of heaven and earth, the author of the scriptures. Right. This is so critical. So we can't sit here week after week, even at Sun Valley, hearing the word of God, seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of true believers, and profess some kind of make-believe faith, and then reject the Lord of our faith. Mm -hmm. Say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to obey what he says. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not a Christian. Mm -hmm. If the Bible tells us to do something, if Jesus commands something, Christians obey. Mm -hmm. Remember, we've talked about this recently. We're slaves. We don't get to choose whether or not We'll obey something in Scripture. Mm -hmm. If it says to serve, we serve. If it says to love, we love. If it says to give, we give. Mm -hmm. If it says to go, we go. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not an option. Mm -hmm. So if you think that you still have a call on these things, the warning of the Scripture is, do you really know Christ? Hmm. How much more serious can this get? Paul said, be sure of your calling and election. Right. I mean, Peter said, be sure of it. Yeah. Don't don't think or hope. Be sure. Yeah. How do you know if you're truly saved? Well, look at verses seven and eight. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop is useful to those for whose sake it was cultivated and receives a blessing from God. Hmm. If the gospel has penetrated your heart, you'll be a fruitful Christian. Right. Look at your life, Christian friend. Look of your life, friend, who thinks you're Christian. Yeah. Are you producing? Are you more joyful now than you were? Are you more committed to the cause of Christ than you were? Are you more in love with your spouse and your children and your neighbors and your church family than you were? Or are you still living on a self-directed personal agenda? Who, if people bow to you, then you'll accept them, you'll like them. But if they're different from right. you, then you don't. They don't. Nah. Right. No, right. wait a minute. Hold on. Friends, this is so critically important. Second Peter 1.10, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Jeremy, we, it's critical. There's two things here. One is, this is written to unsaved people who think they're saved yeah. because of the associations they have right. with the gospel, with the church, with other Christians. Yeah, This is for people like you and me who were raised in a Christian home 
spend all of our days in church, know all the answers from Sunday school, and yet our lives don't reflect a sold-out commitment to Christ. Yeah. That's what this is about. It's not about Christians who may lose their salvation if they sin bad enough. This is, that's a horrible misrepresentation of the gospel and of this text. This is written to unsaved people who don't know Jesus, right. Right. <laughs> particularly starting with the Jews, but then applied to us in modern day. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe maybe when you were just talking there, John, it made me think of John chapter one, in verse twelve. And John writes, "But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man." Right. So you see all these different aspects of, well, I'm a, I'm a, my parents are Christian, mm-hmm. so I'm good. Yeah. You know, I go to church. I go to church, so I'm good. I've given to missions. Sure. I've even served in a nursery. Yeah. But that doesn't get me to heaven. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and we, we categorize these things to we do. think that, you know, we're, we're good because I do X, Y, and Z, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. Right? Well, and it's not just the Pharisees. Yeah. I think it's a lot of modern evangelical sure. churches. Sure. They think if they check the boxes, yep. they're fo- they're good to go. They're fine. Yep. Hold on. Yep. Read Hebrews six yeah. four through six again. Yeah. Um, you can't just claim Christ and not live Christ. Those two go together inseparably. Right. Lord and Savior. Yeah. Savior and Lord. Yeah. Not one or the other. Right. Well, I just want to live my own life and buy get a ticket to heaven. It doesn't work that way. That's not that's not one of the boxes that you right. can check. Right. It's Lord and Savior or nothing. Yeah. So I know I've you you said you're going to turn me loose. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's what it looks like when I'm turned loose. Yeah. No. Or what it sounds like when it when I'm turned loose. But um, this stuff is critical, Jeremy. It's critical to understand how we interpret and why we interpret things the way we do at our church. And it's just as important to understand the consequences of how we interpret what we do. This is serious. You can't miss this one. If you get this one wrong, you're in a heap of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Well, I know, I know this is, is a concern of yours Mm -hmm. as the pastor of this church is not just to have people in attendance, uh, but to have people who are genuinely transformed by Christ. Exactly. I I want everyone to be in attendance because it's here where they're going to hear the gospel. Right. Hopefully the gospel by the by the grace and mercy of God and the work of the Holy Spirit will penetrate their calloused hearts mm-hmm. and they'll respond genuinely to the gospel and give their life to Christ, mm-hmm. not just their mental assent. Mm-hmm. Mental assent is certainly part of it, but what follows is a Christian commitment to mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. a transformed life, a fruit-bearing life. Mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. says in John 15, what glorifies the Father is fruit-bearing. Right. Right. Nothing else, right. not words. You know, Jesus in 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 Revelation chapter two uh, said, "Words that aren't backed up by actions make me sick to the point of vomiting." Yeah, Jesus said that. Yeah, that's not Pastor John's. You know, interpret. That's that's what he said. Go read it. Yeah, he says, "I'll spit you out of my mouth," and the vernacular there is vomit. Yeah. That's how. That's what God thinks of words without actions. Yeah. So be make make sure to quote Peter that your calling in election is sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, this uh, this passage in Hebrews serves as a as a warning. Oh man, for us, um, but also assurance for us that are in Christ. That yes, we can't we can't lose our salvation. Right. We, there, it's not about the Christian in that passage. Yeah. It's yeah. for those of us in this church who, not us, those in this church, because I believe I'm saved and my life is backing it up. Praise God and dependent on God, right. the Lord willing of all of those things. It's those who claim Christ but don't back it up mm. is who's in view here. Mm-hmm. This isn't about us. Mm-hmm. It's about them. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm afraid that we have some of them in our church, mm-hmm. like in every church. Mm-hmm. So... Well, yeah, and that's I I appreciate it when you, when you're preaching because you you make a call to come to Christ yeah. regularly on Sunday mornings yeah and it's not just for Joe Blow coming off the street it's for people who've been in attendance for yeah. thirty years you know I mean obviously well, not yeah. thirty years in this church but seventeen seventeen years yeah at our church yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah man I. Uh, that's that's a great reminder, John. Thank you for yeah. walking through that passage. Yeah, and I do want to extend an invitation to you who may be listening, if you don't know Christ, to to turn to Christ even now. Examine your life. Examine your and life. Turn to Christ. Yeah, yeah. There's no other hope outside of right outside of Christ. And by the way, this doesn't mean you won't struggle with sin. Sure. Every one of us struggles with sin. Yeah. What this means is that you run to the Savior. Yeah. With your sin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Amen. Instead of just saying, oh, I don't think that's important. Amen. Yeah. No. Yeah. And by the way, Sun Valley Church, uh, to uh, kind of cut into Jeremy's conclusion here, this, what we've talked about today is really important. I'm certain that you have friends that need to hear this, whether or not they're at Sun Valley. Pass this podcast along to mm-hmm. them. Um, I, I preached on this also um, back when we were going through Hebrews, mm-hmm. and you can look it up on our on our website. The Hebrews sermons are there listed, Hebrews 6. Just look for that, and you'll see it, and you can find a fuller treatment there of mm-hmm. what we've talked about this morning briefly. But there are people in our lives all over the place that need to hear this kind of stuff, so pass it along to them. Get them to listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. um, this one and all of them that we do here. I think we're covering important things. Sure. And if you if you guys are coming across uh, a particular passage in scripture that you just you find difficult to understand, uh, feel free to contact me and, and maybe we can uh, cover that passage on this podcast because um, there's there's plenty in scripture where where it can be confusing and mm-hmm. uh, it takes time to think through and, and study it. So feel free to uh, send those my way and, and we'll try to cover them in the future. Church, we love you. We look forward to uh, next week. We look forward to Sunday. And we look forward to uh, this year and what God has in store for us. You have a great day.